This is Baffled with David DeRoche, and this is Episode 9, an interview with the Chair of the Journalism Department at Quinnipiac University School of Communications, Professor Molly Yanity. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Did you have a good Thanksgiving weekend? I had a great one. Uh, it, it's hard to come back for those two weeks between Thanksgiving and winter break, but we're, we're powering through. Powering through. And, and as I was telling you before, I had been gone for a long period of time, got married, took a honeymoon, then Thanksgiving happened. So I'm hoping my brain doesn't start leaking as we have this really great conversation, important conversation about journalism. So just a, a little note for our listeners to, to maybe take some of my comments with a grain of salt. But I want to give our listeners some background on you, Professor Yanity, before we get started. So you've been here at Quinnipiac since 2013. You're an associate professor and you're the chair of of the journalism department here. You've been a sports reporter at different newspapers, including the Seattle Post-Intelligencer. You've written chapters for a couple books, and you currently cover Connecticut Sun for the Athletic WNBA. So very busy uh, doing all this great journalism and uh, teaching students about journalism and all that important stuff that we love that you and I are both both very passionate about. And also, just so our listeners know, Quinnipiac does have an incredible journalism program. So if you are interested in learning about that stuff, or if you have a, a child who you would like to send here to learn about that stuff, please check us out. I'm excited to dig into some big questions with you about journalism because I feel like journalism is at a crossroads. And actually, I think it's kind of been in a crossroads for a while. And it just seems like, you know, us or the industry or individual journalists are unable to really pick a path. We've sort of been stuck trying to figure out where we're headed. That's what I want to dive into with you. Uh, a little while back, we recorded an episode called The Four Reasons Why Journalists Should Not Defend Democracy. And after we recorded it, I told the students you know, who were in the studio, I was like, do you have any ideas who we should talk to about this? And your name immediately popped up because I know this is something that you're very passionate about. Because of my prolific uh, history in sports, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, sports being a, a very integral part of, of the democracy. But just to be clear about my position, so we laid it out in detail in episode two, but I think journalists can definitely defend democracy. You can, right? Um, but the problem is, is that, you know, we never really stop to think about how our defense of democracy could be a bias in and of itself. First of all, because everybody has kind of different definitions of what democracy is, we all have different definitions of justice and justice's role in a democracy. And so individual journalists end up pursuing democracy, you know, their own version of democracy rather than, you know, the same one. And so you could imagine that if you're a journalist, you're covering democratic movements or socialist movements or movements outside of uh, the traditional democratic process, you might be influenced to be biased toward dem democracy rather than be open toward these other sort of ideologies. And that form that could be in itself a form of advocacy. And again, maybe that's okay, but maybe it's not. And that's what I kind of want to dig into with you a little bit. I really, as I was a reporter, I was reporting for covering education and covering social justice issues. I really never personally stopped to think about, you know, was was I defending democracy? And if I was, was it some sort of bias? And I and you as a sports journalism reporter, I'm not sure that you did that either. Just talk about a little bit about that from your experience as a reporter. Did you ever stop to think about that stuff? I did not. I, I can just say that categorically. I did not stop and think about what I was doing and, and how it had a broader impact. I was really focused on on audience and, and covering the team that I was covering or athletes, whatever it might be. And, and you know, at the time, what I thought I was doing and, and, and truly was, was getting stories out, you know. And, and this is one of the things where 
you, you'd mentioned that journalism is at a crossroads or, or kind of has been. And, and I might suggest that it's it's sort of been at a crossroads since the founding of this country. I mean, mm. Because, no, I never thought about it. But, you know, once I got into um, higher ed, it's kind of all I think about now. Mm. Um, so so to, to, to look at this, like, let's go back to the, the founding of of the nation and one of the the greatest minds despite all his his personal flaws thomas jefferson his assessment of of what the media should do or what journalism should do is amazing but once he got into office what was one of the first things he did it was sued the the hartford current right Right. or went after the hartford current um on what you know kind of looked like libel but that's you know that was a very long time ago but we've always been in this in this spot where we're, we're, we're being pulled a few different directions. We want to get paid so we can live, and our bosses definitely want to get paid, and, and ownership needs to get paid, so we've got to sell ads, and it's what it used to be. We've got to sell, um, we've got to sell copies, and just simply informing is, is not going to get that done. So there has to be the entertainment piece of it. Okay, now I can, I can tell stories about, you know, the, the news, basically, right? And, and those can be entertaining, but there's a lot more to what we call journalism. Molly, the sports writer, never thought of that. Now it's all I think about. What we're trying to do in, in terms of, and I say we, I mean this generally, of course, what we should be trying to do is give potential voters information so that they can make their, their choice. Now, the thing is, is that that's not very sexy. It doesn't sell very many newspapers. It doesn't get people to watch the evening news. So what we're really seeing in, quote unquote, the, the media, which I, I'm going to say <coughs> mainstream journalism, um, is is a mostly a form of entertainment. You know, when we're looking at, at the crossroads, are we actually going to sell? Are, are we going to entertain? Or are we really, truly just going to give people what they need to know to vote? Now, you could say like, oh, those are voter info packages, <laughs> but um, that's, you know, that, that isn't the sexy part, but that's really truly what we're doing if we are just simply promoting democracy. Mm. Let, let's talk about the Build Back Better bill that passed the House of Representatives and is now in the Senate or should go to the Senate. I, I just read something and it was actually a Twitter thread from a, uh, a journalist who's based in rural Pennsylvania. And uh, she gets on. She's a regular on CNN and, and you know, talks a lot about different political issues. Um, her last name's Semrau, and uh, she had this really long thread um, and, and really got into talking about how most Americans can tell you what this bill cost because that's been the sexy headline. Oh, yeah. It pits Democrats and Republicans against each other. It's you know their fundamental alleged core values. Right. And but but what's in the bill? Right. Nobody knows. Right. Nobody knows what's in the bill. It just costs a lot. So she actually broke down many different things. And she's really transparent about it right at the beginning. I would be perceived as a very liberal Democrat. Um, I live in this town in in rural Pennsylvania. And she talks about a a neighbor who's in a wheelchair. And his biggest concern right now is being alone in the winter. Who's going to get him his medicine? Who's going to help him? His wheelchair isn't good in the winter. You know, I mean, like, just all these different things. Okay, so they're talking about this bill. And he is like, well, you know, that's just going to cost me a lot of money. And when she's really looking at it, well, you know, like if we actually looked at some of the things that are in this bill, this bill would be, you know, change this guy's life. Right. You know, from from so she writes this whole thing out about, okay, so why are why does American journalism have such a hard time getting the details out about this? Right. And 
honestly, this is where we hurt ourselves with democracy, because I'm going to entertain you with the, the, the battle between the Democrats and the Republicans. And what does that look like? A sports story, for crying out loud. So, so this is where we're having, this is where our big, our, our big crossroads is, right? This is where we can't seem to, to figure out what it is that, that we need to do for democracy. But, but do we need to? Like, and how can we tell those stories about what these, what, what's in this bill without seeming like we're on one side or the other of it. And this is where she's like, okay, well, you know, everybody now knows political affiliations of reporters. I can look right, look up right now what your political affiliation is and see it. Does that show, you know, how you vote? Not necessarily, but this is where you're registered. Right. Um, and that, was, that wasn't the case before. You know, a lot of journalists didn't even pick a party because they didn't want people to know this. And finding that information was harder. Right. And that was, an, you know, the onus would be on audience and you'd have to, you know, walk yourself down to the Board of Elections and find out. I can look it up on my phone right this second. Right. The state so. of Connecticut, very... Very oh transparent gosh. about that. That was a big, long answer to your short no, that's question. Okay. Well, I want to <laughs> dig into that because, you know, as I, when I was reporting, I never actually registered with the party because I was afraid of that very thing. Um, but then that made me crazy because I couldn't vote in the primaries. Right. And in our country, the primaries arguably are the more important event because that's when you actually have options. Right. Uh, and so, you know, to the extent that we feed into the two party system uh, by the structure of our reporting, the same thing you're saying, like there's two sides, right? There's the Republican side and then there's a the Democratic side. And we, we frame things in these ways that makes it seem like there are simply two sides. And then when we have conversations about these things as regular people, we, we get pulled to one side or the other. When, and in reality, I think most people are somewhere in the middle. But I think we definitely do democracy a disservice by framing things like that. But that's exactly why we do it, to your point, is to entertain. Because it's easier to have the good guy and the bad guy or just the two sides. And then you pick your good guy and your bad guy. There's been so much of, you know, the liberal media. I've heard that all my life. You know, I'm, I'm almost 50. I've heard that all my life. I've also heard things like... I, this is really sounds old and the student any student that listens to this is gonna be like what but like i mean tv news is going to kill journalism what the, the medium isn't the message right you know that despite many people saying that yes it in, in fact is how we get it isn't necessarily the message but it, it really is something to see how because we can all get this message and and shout back at each other Right. Some most of the time without even, you know, our real selves attached to it, right. that it has become even more and more, ex, you know, explosive, polarized, whatever you want to call Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And that also feeds into this entertainment cycle. Absolutely. As we've seen, Fox News, pure entertainment. Right. I mean, I yeah. find it horrifying. I mean, <laughs> I try to watch know, it for homework. Yeah. Like, just, right. uh, and it, after five minutes, I'm like, I can't. I, but for me, it's like watching WWE. It's completely <laughs> it performative. It's, you know, and yeah. it, it it's something that I watch and I'm, I'm, I'm horrified by. But then... Knowing that that's there, and that most Americans get their will get their cable news that way. Right. So, so where do you go from there? Being being over entertained to, you know, reading the nuts and bolts of a of a several right. hundred page bill. Right. right. We're so far swinging to the left. How do we get back towards the center, or however you want to right. determine we're, the pendulum? We've swung so we've far swung, out so there. Far let's out say. there. Exactly. Not to a side. And, you know, it's interesting because I do feel you you brought this up in your first answer. Is that a large port part of that reason we have created? the structure within which we function as journalists is because we live in a capitalist society, in which case most of the journalism we do comes from a, a for-profit entity. Now, I do see a lot of hope with nonprofit journalism, like with ProPublica, NPR has been doing that work for a very long time, uh, the Marshall Project. So there are some Excellent really stuff. great nonprofit news outlets coming out uh, that have a different model, but they're flawed as well. 
And so I wonder, you know, outside of the, 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 the need for us to make a living, which is a problem that if, yes. we, if we could answer that, <laughs> then, you know, the whole world would, would bow to us. But, you know, just looking at the work that we do as journalists in the defense of democracy and in a capitalist society, the work that we do defending democracy, you know, in that context, it seems like we, we more perpetuate the idea that there are two sides, the idea that capitalism is the answer. Because even if you do kind of go after those things as a journalist, you're sort of doing it within the confines of the system that we already kind of live within and the structures that we support already through other stories. So it, you're always just a voice in the darkness if you actually go after these sort of systemic things that journalists uh, tend to do. So if you actually went after, if you started covering third parties mm -hmm. as equally as you do the two parties, like I tried to do when I was a journalist, and and it was really hard to do. First of all, as a journalist, to actually cover you know independent candidates or third party candidates, and secondly, you you are a voice in the darkness. Nobody really takes you seriously because everybody reads your stuff and is like, why are they covering these people? They don't have a chance. Why are you wasting your energy talking to these third party candidates? A lot of the structures about about our Th system. That's yeah. actually embedded into. I mean, the fundamentals of capitalism. There's a winner and a loser. Right. Well, what about the ideas that come from these other parties? We don't give them the platform, so those ideas are as in They're in lost. darkness. Right. And but that's. I mean, that's how we operate. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's winners, losers. If you're a loser. Oh, well, right? right, right. And so how do we as, as journalists, you know, I, I try to make individual choices and I had support by my editors to do that. But you're, you are really fighting an uphill battle. And so there are a number of things that I think, you know, regardless of who you identify, what party you identify with or what ideology you identify with, uh, that I think we could agree that need to be fixed. Term limits for congressmen, sure. campaign finance reform, you know, equitable and fair tax reform. Uh, you know, so there are things I think we can really sort of tackle, but it seems like to get there, you you have to really push uphill and you have to really fight forces, to your point, economic forces, mm -hmm. cultural forces, the, the structures that we've been building for a very long time. So I think it's, it goes, it has to be beyond individual journalists. I mean, that's, that's step yeah, one, that's right? One of, that's kind of one of the things that I think is really important for, you know, the type of student that is drawn to to major in journalism is going to be the type of student who who wants to get in and, and rattle the cages, right? That's, I mean, mm -hmm. that's pretty much the one thing that, that our journalism students have in common. Something's wrong, let's fix it. Yeah, and, and, and I'm going to make noise and I, I want to hear this. Okay, so there's a, a branch of journalism. Um, we can call it really progressive, if you'd like, very left-leaning, um, that is, you know, advocacy journalism. It is, you know, in, in something like a Marshall Project, um, which is some of the best work out there. Mm. But there's going to be an entire contingent of Americans who are like, why do we even <laughs> need to waste time on, on you know, people in prison? But right. th but there's also the, the idea of advocacy journalism is perfect for people who, who want to get into this and, and be the voice in the darkness and, and who won't give up. Now, the thing is, is that that is almost all nonprofit driven, right? Um, I think of something like the Texas Tribune. Mm. And the thing is, is that there's also, as a young journalist, you can get in and you can find these ways to tell stories. And it is something that, that feeds into you, your your passion of, of who you are. The thing is, is this is going to be something where, you know, I, I've seen the criticism. I've read the academic articles on this stuff where, on one hand, it's not, it, it's not necessarily that the 
you know, the wild entertainment out there. But it's also not really considered what, what you and me sitting here would think of as, you know, the real black and white journalism of of get all the sides out there. Um, I think of, of outlets like the 19th or um, Rewire and things. And Rewire is something that starts from the place where we believe abortion is is a woman's right, period. That's That's the mindset of the newsroom. Okay, that puts the onus on the audience. The audience has a responsibility in all this. I understand as an audience member that if I read the rewire, I know where the journalists are coming from. I understand their advocacy. Does that mean the stories they're telling are fake? No. Does it mean that they have a slant? Yes. It means they're coming from it from here where you might be on this other side of the issue. Okay, but but that's that puts it back on the audience. Now, the thing is, is what, you know, I think we all notice is that the American audience wants to do as little work as possible. Mm. We would rather be entertained. Mm. And, and I think that, you know, this goes hand in hand with talking about democracy itself. We would rather be led, it seems to me, than do the real hard work of finding out what is in that damn bill. Which which is true to an extent, because but if you actually look at a lot of the polling around this, people tend to say, I want more investigative journalism. But consumption habits tend to... You know, Show not really. Picture. Right, right. And so so is, it is a little bit of a chicken or egg problem, right? So if people tend to say they want X, but we keep giving them Y, which is the entertainment stuff, you know, how do we get them to actually consume the investigative journalism that we're doing? And how do we actually do more and get make that shift happen? Because it seems like the, it seems like at least the desire uh, to make that shift is there. Um, I want to ask a little bit about the idea that journalism as a defense of democracy and how it sort of functions or can function in a democracy and how it maybe doesn't necessarily mean if you have great journalism that you have a great democracy. And I think the interesting takeaway or uh, the interesting data that sort of supports this idea comes from two separate indices. And they are the uh, democracy index, which is an analysis of every government's uh, every nation's government and looks at things like the electoral process, the functioning of government, political culture, civil liberties, political participation, all these kinds of things. Uh, and countries are then ranked according to how strong their democracy is. And it's it's actually put together by the same group that publishes The Economist magazine. And the other index that that I think is interesting to talk about is the Press Freedom Index. And that's something that the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press puts out. And as the name suggests, it looks at press freedoms, things like variety of opinions, media independence, news environment, transparency, infrastructure and they rank each country accordingly. And what you were talking about, you know, um, Rewire actually saying, you know, we do journalism under the idea that a woman has a right to choose. That is their them being transparent about their bias. And I think that is one of the big, big debates now is how transparent should we be about our process and about our biases? Whereas the old journalism was like, we need to be completely objective, never even insinuate that we have an opinion on something. Whereas if you're transparent about your biases, at least then, to your point, the onus is on the audience to then understand that that's where you're coming from. But that's the kind of thing that, that the Press Freedom Index looks looks at, like how transparent um, news organiza- organizations are in a specific country. So in the Democracy Index, the U.S. actually scores 25th in the world. It's not even considered a full democracy, actually. Uh, that's mainly because of our low scores in political culture and how the government functions. And on the Press Freedom Index, we actually just went down to 44th. We used to be 43rd in 2020, and the new index came out. We're now 44th on the list. The Czech Republic, Botswana, Slovenia, Ghana, and dozens more countries have more press freedom than we do. So if we cross-tabulate those two indices, you see some common patterns, right? The ones that are on the top of one are also on the top of the other. But there are some discrepancies. There are some countries that are high in one and low in another. Like Portugal, Jamaica, and Costa Rica are among the top 10 in press freedom. 
but Portugal has a flawed democracy and is ranked way below the U.S. in democracy. And Jamaica is in the top 10 for press freedom, but it scores way below the U.S. in democracy. So again, they're using different you know, data points to create these, these rankings. And so you know, comparing them, we should consider with a grain of salt. But it is interesting to think that uh, good journalism can help democracy. But two other things might be true, and that is, one, you can have a good democracy with limited press access. That's a scary possibility, but, but possible. And the other is that a strong press doesn't always mean a strong democracy. Or I guess maybe another way we think about it is, is like the ability for a press to be strong doesn't necessarily mean the press will utilize its freedom, right? So you know, they might have power as a journalist, but maybe they don't use it because maybe you know the government's okay or maybe you're lazy, whatever. There might be other factors. So I think the last point is probably more true than the former because it's, it's hard for me, again, to imagine that a good democracy can happen without a strong press freedom. But, of course, I'm biased. I, I don't know what's your takeaway from this. When you gave me this list, the the... the the country that stood out to me the most was was Australia. Top 10 in the Democracy Index, 25th in Freedom Press. Still good, but but that seems like a wide margin. Um, you know, one of the interesting things about Australia's press is that it's almost completely owned by the Murdoch family. I mean, almost completely. Newspapers, TV, so you've got one family controlling everything. I don't know how these numbers are completely put together, and I'm sure there's a ton of work and research put into that, but you have an, a, an active, you know, electorate um, and ones that also, I'm guessing, understand where their news is coming from, all from one family. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, that, you know, that's, that's where the scales go on something like that. You know, I, I look at the, the, the numbers for the United States, and, and I think it would surprise most Americans that, that were there, that were, you know, 25th in the Democracy Index, maybe that one wouldn't be so surprising, given that you can't speak about politics without, you know, losing a family member. So, you know, um, but but the freedom of press is, is really jarring. And and I, I think that, that this comes from, from a few different things. We've seen a, a rise in the number of journalists assaulted, journalists arrested. Um, we've seen a... Um, a, a diminished local journalism scene. I, I think that's huge. Our papers, our newspapers, for the most part, are you know owned by just a, a handful of companies now. You know, not all of them, but a few of them. What they what they do now is just go in, buy a paper, a newspaper, strip it down to nothing, sell the building, take everything to its core. There was a a, a fantastic article in the Atlantic um, by Elaine Godfrey, and uh, Elaine is a journalist who. Um, is from a small town on the Mississippi uh, in Iowa. This piece, it, it's called uh, What We Lost When Gannett Came to Town. And um, Burlington, Iowa, she talks about this this great local newspaper they had, the Hawkeye. And she brings up a story that um, there was a, a, a big mill fire. Okay, and it's really interesting. I randomly have like three friends that I've met in Seattle who grew up in this town. Oh, wow. Okay, so um, you know, all of them remember this this big fire. I mean, one of them's, one of their uh, fathers was a, a firefighter and, you know, all hands on deck kind of thing, but they all remembered this. And the, the author of this was also talking about how this small newspaper would have how the high school softball team did right. and would list the honor roll students right. and, part and of just, the community. It, it just absolutely a, a real thing that, that, that was this community was about. Yeah. 
Gannett came in, stripped the place down. They just have a couple journalists work at, working for it now. And it's nothing like that. It's typically filled with, with wire right. stuff. Oh. And, and this is happening all over the country. Mm-hmm. I am from a, a small town in Ohio. It's the exact same thing. I mean, the, the, the local newspaper is, is bare bones. It's kind of an embarrassment, to be honest now. The head of the city council recently told the, the reporter and uh, Ohio University students that um, he would not be doing uh, any press briefings anymore. Um, and he would not be talking to uh, the press anymore. If they had questions, they could send them an email. Oof. And, and you think about that, and I mean, okay, so what happens then? Right. I mean, is that just open business? I mean, the door's open for corruption there. And, and that's what we're seeing. That's where our democracy is on. We, when we think, you know, oh, liberal media or, or, or crazy Fox media, like these, we think of these big national outlets and we think of the wild polarization we have on big issues. We sit and we want to talk about, you know, the, the, the environment in our own town. I live in West Haven, which has been wild lately. We have a, 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 a state senator who was embezzling the COVID relief funds and- Oof, and, oh, that's right. You know, right? I mean, like, this is like, this is kind of crazy stuff. What if there's no one around to report it? Right, does anybody actually know? Does anyone does care? Right. right, I mean, and it finally took a, a nonprofit newspaper here, the Connecticut Mirror, to literally open up, to, to file the FOIA requests, to get exactly where this money was going and how this guy was able to do it. I mean, you know, th- just because it's a nonprofit org doesn't mean that it's advocacy journalism. Right. They're just trying to get the story out to right. citizens so we know. Of course, this happened like right around the time of the, the municipal elections. Right. You know, so it, oh, it was just wild. But I mean, I if we don't understand this stuff and we don't get to talk about you know, I, I don't know what's, I don't have kids. I don't know what's going on at West Haven High School, but I'd love to be able to talk with my neighbors about it, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, hey, I saw your kid play soccer. How are they doing this year? Oh, right. they made it to the tournament. You know, like, right. That'd be great to know, right. you know, like, and, and it, it builds community It in addition to just being informed about what's going on in your front yard. Local journalism absolutely is integral to just the the heart and soul of of, of communities and and democracy, one hundred percent. And also, I think we also forget that they're incubators for journalists. Those are like the first places that that journalists go to get work and learn how to actually do the work. They go to these small outlets. Yeah, and that, it's just shrinking. So as the opportunities dry up, how do they get their feet wet? You know, is it, it, their opportunities become limited. And just speaking from experience on my end too, I was at a, uh, a small newspaper in Darien, Connecticut called the Darien Times, and it was owned by Hershey Maycorn Newspapers. And soon after, it was a family company. I mean, I knew the, the two guys that owned it and you know, they were great. I actually knew them. And not long after I left, they were bought up by Hearst. And now they're you know, a shell of what they used to be. A weekly newspaper yeah. run right. by Hearst. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, Hearst is one of the better ones. Yeah. It, you know, they're, I mean, they're, <laughs> still doing pretty good journalism generally but you know it's hard to see the kind of independence that you want to see when you when, when you have uh you know one major company owning all these small outlets and this is also something that happens as well I maybe mean, it's a function of of capitalism like we were saying before i covered news in Derry and connecticut which had f- like four or five news outlets covering tiny Derry and connecticut where twenty thousand people live how many news outlets were in bridgeport right one the connecticut post which also covered other communities so that's another thing, right? Like news that are stru- news outlets that are struggling to make money, they go to where the money is, but those towns might not need all those resources thrown in. There. The resources need to go to towns like Bridgeport, which have problems that that need more attention. In saying in talking about this and having this conversation, you know, your listeners might be thinking, well, you know, given what you just said, why the hell would I ever want my kid to go into journalism, right? Right. And, okay, right. so it, in, and I, I have an answer for this because it's something I, I believe in with my my soul is. If you have a critically minded young person 
who can research, organize information, and develop that no fear mentality when it comes to this stuff. I believe, like aside from doing surgery, you can pretty much do anything. Um, you know, so many students who go into who major in journalism and end up with careers outside of the daily news. I mean, we have tons in it saying that doesn't happen, but the, the students who, who go that route or, or then maybe change directions and things, they're fully prepared. I mean, they, they, they get it. And this is what this is what I just love about journalism, being able to ask the question and someone saying, I'm not telling you that and saying, well, I'm going to I'm going to figure out how to get this answer. And that is that's what I think we're missing. What we've got this almost like subservient minded sure president jefferson whatever you say right, <laughs> right. Well, and i think a lot of people think about journalism being under attack they imagine it the, the origins of that happening under president trump and i think and a lot of journalists probably don't really agree with that now certainly president trump's bark was a lot louder than previous generations or previous presidents i mean he called us the enemy of the people but i think the real crackdown under uh journal of journalists happened under obama's administration uh, you know, he pr increased prosecutions against leakers uh, more than any other previous administration, um, pursued journalists more frequently than any other administration. They denied FOIA requests right. more than any administration. So and it began with that. And I, and I think what people kind of don't really realize is, yes, the rhetoric increased under Trump, but that the government stance as the press as the enemy actually was more of a policy. Yeah, <laughs> the, 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 there's, a, there's a fantastic book called Agents of Power by a scholar named Herb Altschul. And it literally goes back and it shows you how the different relationships with the press that all these different presidents had. And, and I think what the, the one that stands out to me as, as I don't want to say the worst, okay? I think um, Obama's policy toward the press was, he seemed all buddy-buddy, but it was not pretty, as not you so said. Great. But Reagan's, you know, this was also 80s, you know, TV kind of becomes a different animal. That was really where we saw the, the entertainment aspect mm -hmm. come in. I mean, Reagan's press secretaries knew how to manipulate, to manipulate not just the people, but the news cycle itself. Right. Bad news, press release and a uh, and news conference Friday at five. Right. You know, and, and that used to matter. That used to matter because right. it would be like, oh, the journalists are, you know, already hitting happy hour and then they, they don't have to worry until the Sunday paper, right. you know, things like that. Right. But uh, obviously we're not there now, but, but uh, Agents of Power, excellent book. And so there are a lot of things that, you know, we could dig in on related to all these points we're making. I mean, I, you know, certainly not going to solve any, <laughs> any. I will come any back issues, and we will do it. Okay? I want you to come on. I want us to talk more, more in depth about this stuff because, I, you know, I, I really don't think anything is more important than, than talking about these things because, you know, there are signs, there are really troubling signs uh, in the state of our country. And I think it, what's really hard to swallow is that the fragility of our democracy makes it hard to truly critically analyze the role of journalists because we have become so defensive and we don't really want to be introspective. We don't really want to critically analyze what we do. But I personally think that American democracy is actually broken. I don't think it's flawed. I think it's broken and we need to really critically think about our role and how we actually can fix it. Um, so what are your thoughts just, I guess, on the entire reason for this episode? You know, what can journalists do? So outside of the the good work that we're talking about, right? Seeing a problem, trying to fix it. Um, what are just some quick tips you could give budding journalists to say, okay, you know what? These are the things that might be broken in our democracy. How can I be a part of the solution instead of sort of perpetuating these issues that journalists tend to perpetuate? Again, the, the polarization right. and all that kind of stuff. You know, I, I think about this in, in the sense of perfect world. <laughs> okay. Right. Let's talk so, about perfect world. Right. Utopian so, journalism. Utopian journalism. You know, a very practical sense. 
I, I find it mildly offensive, and I realize I sound crotchety when I say this, to see journalists on on TV so much. Oh, talking um, Yeah, I see the, like, a, someone who's just so ridiculously talented, like a like Jake Sherman, AP Capitol Hill reporter. He's a contributor to MSNBC, on there all the time, ends up leaving the AP and starting his own his own newsletter and, and outlet. What we're seeing here is like, I'm going to be able to make money from this. Right. And we have to. To be able to see somebody writing in the Washington Post, covering things day in and day out, and then coming onto a cable news channel that, regardless what you think of it, the, the, the show on, on the Fox News, on the MSNBC, even on CNN, like, the, the audience thinks they're slanted. And right. to a great extent, they are. they are. So so when you see the person who's supposed to be right. the, the balanced reporter on Show those, that on hurts. Right. We've really hurt ourselves with social media in the sense of trying on one hand to be transparent, and then on the other hand, like, I'm, I'm a fair reporter. Right. I can't sit here and tell Here's the thing. I don't believe in objectivity. It's impossible. No matter Agreed. what I cover, I am coming at it like or, a- You have an experience. You have an angle. Yeah, I, I absolutely yeah. do. The questions I ask are, are, are painted by that. It can be fair, but the right. thing is, is the perception right. is still not going to be great. Right. You know, or, or it's going to be, oh, you know, he's liberal. He's really conservative. Like, so obviously he's going to do this this way. Sure. So those are two things right off the bat. And- the other one is I we absolutely under no circumstance ever can get lazy. It's kind of just in our nature, I fear, as Americans now. Like, oh, I mean, man. this democracy has been the thing is, it's been hard from day one, but we've been coddled into this comfort. We're very comfortable. We're over entertained. And because of that, we we sometimes we don't ask many questions yeah. or hit the roadblock. I think it's so much of this with our students. The PR person says no comment. Oh, well, there's no comment. I'll just put that in the story. No, like I'm trying not to slam down the table. Yeah. No, we like go find right. the answer. That perseverance and, you know, if you feel like something isn't all the way true, it find out. Isn't. Yeah, <laughs> like go I mean, for it. go for it. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we, we can't be lazy. We can't be scared. And I, I see so much of that. And I realize that the part of the, the fear is also from like, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to, oh, yeah. you know, someone, someone's going to get mad at me, yeah. you know, from students. That's yeah. what I see. But. So what? Right. <laughs> you want people to get mad at you. I, I thought, you know, I always felt successful when I had people from both sides. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you, you must be doing something right. And, and to your point about becoming lazy, when I was a journalist full time, it is really freaking hard to be aggressive and tenacious all the time. And it's exhausting. Yeah. And so I understand why people get lazy, because the work itself is, is demoralizing. I mean, I remember working on stories, investigative pieces with FOIA requests and, and getting great stories and doing great things. And then nothing happening. Crickets. Yeah. Occasionally something happens. Like twice in my career, I saw movement, right? Things <laughs> twice. twice. In 10 years, <laughs> I actually saw like some legislation or some change actually happen. But in twice in 10 years, I, I mean, that's hard, yeah. you know? And I imagine some people probably have less a smaller success rate. Um, for those of you who have higher success rate, tell us what you're doing. I want to know because it, it's exhausting. And so, you know, what do you do to sort of keep your head level? What do you do to sort of reinvigorate yourself? I mean, I had my my tricks and stuff like that. But I suggest personally is that we just remember why we do this work, to your yeah. point. We do it because we believe in, in a society that's free and in a society that's fair and, and making things better. We think that, I think this at least, maybe I, I'm starting to change my opinion, but I do think in the core of most people, we're good. You know, even if we think differently about certain things, and I think that's what drove me is just kind of recognizing, hey, you know, we're flawed, but we're on this planet as our one shot. Let's just do our best and try to make uh, things a little bit better. Yeah, I, I think seeing the 
the positive stories, while those those are entertaining, you know, I, I just think of a you know a school librarian who who just retired after fifty some years, and and the the local newspaper again a local newspaper wrote up a, a story about this woman and all the you know students that she and generations of of students that she'd. Uh, affected positively those are my favorite and, stories. you know those are those are amazing are those going to be the democracy changers right. no but they're going to be the things that connect you to the community to people, too right, right. and and i just think that like being like you know saying like oh my god in two two times in 10 years to you, you fill the rest of the time with those stories that, right. that, that do somehow connect you to the community somehow and, and that's just as important there. i think it is i think it's equally as important and why is it important to have a democracy for right. stuff like that right exactly you know? that we can tell people stories and get people to care about yeah. each other and those are some of the stories that i love you know i'm flipping through the new york times and i find the one that's totally unexpected yeah. it's about some person you've never heard of and they just have an incredible life story and, and, and it's inspiring and it gives you hope yeah. because so much journalism so much investigative journalism is something's wrong and it just makes you depressed <laughs> you're like oh my god like here we go again but those are the stories that give you hope. And I feel like those human interest stories kind of get short shrift um, because we are, are always focused on those investigative pieces. Thank you so much for, for your time today, Professor Molly Anity, Chair of the Journalism Department here at Quinnipiac University School of Communications. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you, David. All right, Living, Breathing Things of Eartha is it for today. Thanks for spending your time with us. We're up to nine episodes and we want to hear from you. Are there stories out there that you want us to take a look at? Anything that's baffling you? I can't promise you it won't also baffle me, but we can work through that confusion together. You find me on Twitter at SavingEJ. You can email me at david.deroche at q.u.edu. That's david.desrochees at q.u.edu. This podcast is a production of Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio. Our producer is Grace McGuire. Our social media coordinator is Jillian Catalano. And our videographer is Jake McCarthy. Please subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice. Learn more about this podcast and others. Visit qu.edu slash podcast and also visit our new website, quinnipiacpodcasts.com. Thanks so much for listening to Baffled with David DeRoche. Until next time.